0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians. We shall look together at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And again, as we gather this day of convocation, this service of convocation, uh, we do so with a particular intentionality, at least I do. What would the Lord have me to say to this community, faculty and staff and students, on this day, the dawn of a new calendar year, the beginning of a new academic semester, and all that comes with it? So this morning, from these verses, I want to challenge us onward in Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, onward in Christ. Not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus." Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the outward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pause now before this text, before you. We pray this morning, Father, that my words would be pleasing to you. Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would be receptive, that you would refocus us this day, which signifies so much in the life of this institution. And Father, I pray that each one of us, students, faculty, staff, spouses, and families, those in the room and beyond the room, this day would be marked by moving your people towards greater faithfulness and greater service for your church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we gather at the dawn of a new calendar year, the beginning of a new academic semester. And as always, both arrive with a sense of promise, of hopefulness, and of expectation. Yet this year, this new year, and the semester, it is especially the case. We are creatures of our times. We are, of course, people in context. And for most all of us, 2020 was a bruising year. We experienced a global pandemic, which thrust us into a global and national recession, and all the uncertainty that arrives with it. What is more, we have experienced social unrest and political turmoil. National fault lines seem to have widened, to have deepened, and to have hardened. Yet we have good news today. As Christians, we confess our Lord reigns. His sovereignty is extended over all. He will build His church. Thus, as individuals and as a seminary of community, we have much to be hopeful for, much to be confident in, much to be cheerful about. Yes, our times are challenging, but they are even more exhilarating. Personally, the trials of 2020 drew many of us closer to Christ, COVID interrupted our lives, it forced us into less activity, less travel, less gathering, less outings. And this divine disruption forced us to focus on the fundamentals. It nudged us to be more local, more family-oriented, and more ministerially resilient. Institutionally, God has brought us thus far through the challenges of COVID, enabling us to far exceed institutional internal projections and to outstrip broader contextual benchmarks in the world of higher education. On the enrollment front, spring 2020 is shaped up once again to be another strong semester, and we praise God for that. The Lord has more than met our needs financially. He's positioned us for greater ministry reach and impact than ever before in this new year and in this new semester. So on this day of convocation, we stand with our convictions intact, our commitment to the Great Commission undeterred our vision for the church resolute, and our hope in Christ renewed. Yet if the past year has taught us anything, it has taught us the importance of first things, of reminding ourselves why we exist, why God has us here, what we steward on behalf of Southern Baptists, and what they rightly expect of us and we of ourselves. Our times aren't simple, but they are simplifying. When you pause and reflect on our work as a seminary, our task is indeed straightforward. Formally, we have a Southern Baptist ministry assignment given to all six Southern Baptist seminaries by the convention. It's simple. It states this, Southern Baptist theological seminaries exist to prepare God-called men and women for vocational service in Baptist churches and in other Christian ministries throughout the world through programs of spiritual development theological studies, and practical preparation and ministry. Here at Midwestern Seminary, we've localized that a touch and sharpened it to simply say we exist for the church by biblically educating God called men and women to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, in light of these realities, I want to point us onward from this passage and unto the great work God has set before us. Now recall with me where we find ourselves in this passage. We know the Apostle Paul is writing about A.D. 60. He founded this church on his second missionary journey. Recall Philippi is located in coastal Greece on the Aegean Sea. Philippi was a Roman colony. It hosted an outpost of Roman soldiers. As a city, it was known for its its commerce. It had silver and gold mines was also known as a travel hub, something of a crossroads. Thus, it was a city of importance, and so it was a city of gospel opportunity. So how did a church arrive in Philippi? Well, recall Acts chapter 16 and one of these gripping stories where Paul is there ministering, and he receives what we refer to as the Macedonian vision, the Macedonian call. Paul is summoned westward from modern-day Turkey, towards Europe. So he sails the Aegean and he begins his work. In Acts chapter 16, we see Philippi. We see in Philippi Lydia is converted, becoming the first known convert in Europe. Then Paul casts a demon out of a slave girl. He's in prison and beaten with Silas until an angel springs in from jail, but not before the jailer and his family were converted. Thus the church at Philippi was born. Now, Paul is writing to them from prison, from house arrest, to thank them for their support he has received via Epaphroditus. And in so doing, he sets forth a vision of joy through Christ. Joy in Christ. Thus, a resilient joy that can, indeed will persist in spite of circumstances. And my pastoral word to you this morning, on the front end of this passage is this. As people of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only can we have such joy, we must cultivate joy, that joy. We should experience that joy. And it is found through a vibrant living relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you've read the book of Philippians, and I trust all of us have except the newborns in the room, if you've read the book of Philippians, you know that we see this theme of joy showing up again and again and again, and always linked with Christ. What Paul has gained through Christ, who Paul is in Christ, what Paul is experiencing because of Christ. His joy, though, is unabated. For many of us in 2020, and now as we are entering 2021, our circumstances have been in want. We long for 2020 to be over, only to find ourselves rapidly missing 2020 in some ways. But nonetheless, we are a people of hope, of focus, a people of experiential joy in Christ, similar to Paul. Now, more specifically, in chapter 3, recall with me, this is something of Paul's autobiography. He's recounting his spiritual conversion here. And just let your eye fall, let's say, uh, beginning in verse 4. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I will circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So in this context, as we know, Paul, we see in uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Paul is, Paul is under house arrest, uh, most likely in Rome. He's guarded by the Praetorian Guard, the, these crack troops. And, and he, is, he is attached to them or they to him by chains and rotating these guards through. And Paul can rejoice that he still has gospel opportunities as every few hours, perhaps every six hours, another guard comes along and he has a captive audience for the gospel of Christ. So if anyone's circumstances, if anyone's circumstances ought to diminish their hope, ought to suppress their joy, ought to stymie their witness, it would be the circumstances of this man. But instead of stymieing his witness or mitigating his joy, he's resilient throughout this book. What is more, he, he says in these verses, he says he, he longs to be complete. He longs to be mature, to be full-grown in Christ Jesus. More so than he wants to be sprung from jail or or set free, he longs to know Christ, to reflect Christ, to mature in Christ. Now, there are three observations about these passages on the front end that strike me. Number one, the Bible assumes our growth as Christians. We see here Paul yearning for it, and we'll unpack it a bit more carefully in a few moments. But on the front end, we see see the sense that the Bible assumes our growth. In other words, there is no such thing as a stagnant, much less digressing, healthy Christian. Yes, unfortunately, as Christians, we find ourselves stagnant. We even find ourselves digressing on occasion. But we are not doing that while we are simultaneously healthy and joy-filled in Christ. So we should be careful to do away with that phrase we so often hear in churches and in life. They go something like this. Oh, just, just ignore her. That's just the way she is. Just ignore him. That's just the way he is. As though we, are, we should give carnality a license amongst the church of God and let people be just the way they are and to excuse their disruption, their sin, their obstinance. No. The Bible assumes our sanctification. Secondly, we also see in this passage that Christianity is lived in the future. Experientially, we live in the present, right? But we ought not be bound by it. We live looking towards the future, leaning into the future within, with our hope most ultimately placed in the eternal future. As John Piper has taught us, we are dependent on future grace. Third observation, faithfulness in the Christian life and ministry doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. And there, there's application in these verses for our lives, for your church, for your ministry, and for, this, from the, for the seminary community. And it's aim to draw a few of those lines this morning from this passage. So I want to argue this morning, our time together, that these verses, these verses, that to faithfully move forward, faithfully move onward in Christ, they require three essential steps of us. Step number one, we take an inward review. Notice verse 12. We take an inward review. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect. Again, the it, the perfect, is maturity in Christ. And I'm struck by the fact that that Paul, A, doesn't find himself yet to be mature in Christ. B, is aware of that dissonance and is looking to rectify it, even as he reflects in these verses under the inspiration of the Spirit. And C, is intentional about this sober reflection. We see a a, a thorough, honest evaluation that Paul makes and that we ought to be comfortable making. But we have to acknowledge this defies our age, does it not? Our age, we are a people of noise. We are a people of distraction, a people of constant motion, constant entertainment. We have no idle second in our lives. But an inward look requires such. It requires the notifications being turned off, the Bible being opened, our room being quiet, putting ourselves in context where we're free from distractions so that we can actually reflect on God's Word and in prayer on the Lord's work in our lives and where He desires to move us towards greater maturity. Now, verse 12 is a particularly stark contrast with verses 8 through 10. Recall what Paul said, I count all things to be lost and view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. So we see Paul's life before Christ, a life of activity, a life of religious zeal. And then the more then he comes, he's confronted by Christ, he's called by Christ, he's set apart by Christ, and it's this ever-going journey of growing into a deeper knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And we see from these verses, especially when contrasted with his life before Christ, that religious activity doesn't lead one to attain spiritual maturity. What is more, religious achievement doesn't necessarily lead one to attain spiritual maturity. Paul is reflecting here inwardly, and we do well to do that also. I, I caution you against living like in a never-ending cycle of introspection. My point is not that we, we live looking inward day after day after day. No, we're to look over to Christ, right? But it is good periodically to open our lives before God's Word and perhaps before brothers and sisters of accountability and our spouses and our, our elders, our pastors. And what are you seeing? Where am I? Needing to grow, what might I repent of? Now, what does that mean for us? This inward look. What does that mean for us individually and as an institution? Well, first of all, again, it's important to do so. The carpenter doesn't always think about the house; he he stops to think about the hammer on occasion. The fisherman, not just the fish, he thinks about his tackle. The minister, not just his people, but occasionally himself. And so we argue that this is good and even essential. We ask ourselves questions like, what temptation patterns am I seeing? Am I spiritually cold? Is my heart warmed or not in worship with God's people? Who do I enjoy seeing by way of community and spiritual fellowship, and who do I by myself avoiding? When am I in God's Word? When am I in prayer? What am I contending for? Institutionally, it's important as well we reflect. How are we fulfilling our mission? What are our distractions? How holy, unified, and joy-filled are we as a community? Are we theologically above reproach? Are we interpersonally keeping short accounts, going to our brother or our sister so as not to threaten the unity that is ours? An inward look is good. It cuts against the grain of 21st century, America, but it is good at times to stop and inwardly reflect. But we don't stay there. Notice what Paul does in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, referring again to this sense of spiritual ultimate spiritual maturity, but he says, I press on. And we see the second essential step, and that is that that we cultivate a a forward-looking focus. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead." Really? Do we forget what lies behind? Some strategic amnesia can go a long way in your Christian life. Yes, we are called in other passages to remember God's faithfulness, to erect our own Ebenezer's, uh, to document God's provision, and so we, we don't wonder about forgetting God's kindness and God's care and God's providence and God's grace from times past. But we do at times, we are at times, to choose intentionally to forget certain things. What might those things be? First of all, to forget past sins. Some of you in this room are haunted by a transgression or two or three or more that you committed many years, perhaps many decades ago. And when you hear the preaching of God's Word and you go to Scripture, your your conscience is pricked and, and Satan shows up and seeks to condemn you for something that Christ has already forgiven you for. Based upon the redemptive work of Christ and His forgiveness, you need to forget those things. Yet not just past sins done by you, but past sins done to you. Some of you in the room this morning and beyond this room, you you find yourself still clinging to bitterness and hard-heartedness based towards someone, based upon something they did you a year ago or a decade ago or perhaps a lifetime ago, and they might even know it. The reality is you're not hurting them, you're hurting yourself. Clinging to those past sins will steal your joy, thwart your spiritual growth, and grieve the spirit that lives within you forget those things. Additionally, some of us need to forget past service. Like I was really faithful eight years ago and I got some some money in the account spiritually. And so so I once did some great things for God. What are you doing for him now? I once served the church and I was faithful and I taught Sunday school for five years and I was the associate minister for eight years and, and I once did it. What are you doing for the Lord now? What, is your, what are your future ambitions for the cause of Christ? Past sins, past service, past successes. Some of us in our churches they are plagued by this prevalent sense of anecdotalism of people wanting to get back to the 1980s, the 1950s, or some previous generation when they saw in their minds a healthier, happier church. I believe the Lord is not that concerned with what your church looked like in 1954, 1984, 2004, but what we're doing to build his church faithfully in the year 2021 and beyond. Past sins we forget. Past service we forget. Past successes we forget. On the contrary, we are leaning into the future. John Piper in his book, Future Grace, writes this. The only life I have left to live is the future life. The past is not in my hands to offer or alter. It is gone. Not even God will change the past. All the expectations of God are future expectations. All the possibilities of faith and love are future possibilities. And all the power that touches me with help to live in love is future Power. As precious as the bygone blessings of God may be, if He leaves me only with the memory of those and not with the promise of more, I will be undone. My hope for future goodness and future glory is future grace. That's what called us here, right? As students, you're here not to like reach. your your, your end during an MDiv degree to, to be prepared for a greater end. As faculty and staff, we're here not to reach our end with the signing of a confessional book or with election of faculty or some other academic milestone, but to train ministers and missionaries for future service. And it's a glorious, opportune season to be in here. I pray I never get over the uniqueness of God's call in our lives to this place to do this work. It is grand. It is glorious. It was 20 years ago, this year, 2021, that my wife and I found ourselves moving off to seminary. Letting our belongings in a 26-foot U-Haul that broke down before we left the driveway. And I uh, had to be resuscitated and limp along for 600 miles. And then we arrived. We moved into our off-campus apartment. And uh, we found ourselves getting settled then. And as bright-eyed, bushy-tailed first-semester students, trying to do all the right things that some student students should do. And looking back, I am uh, tickled by our zeal and our naivety, but, but overjoyed by God's faithfulness through it all. Well, we, we were living in this off-campus apartment about, about 15 minutes from campus. And we, had, uh, we, we were in the, the second-floor apartment. And below us was this gentleman uh, who who looked to be about my age, mid twenties, and he looked to be of perhaps Indian or Pakistani origin. And so I just kind of assumed that he was probably in the in in the states, you know, for for um, educational purposes or perhaps you know work professional purposes. And we bumped into him in the stairways and um, came to know him. His name was Anant. We we got to know his name. And uh, Anant would cook, and you know, most evenings the uh, the aroma of curry would waft upstairs to our apartment and. We, uh, we found ourselves getting to know Anant a little bit and, and trying to do what Christians do and trying to do what seminary students do and trying to do what, 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 what ministers do. We, we, we sought to share the gospel with Anant and get to know him. So we had kind of intentional greetings in the parking lot and all that. Well, then, then finally, after about a month, we invited Anant up to dinner. So my wife prepared a dinner and uh, invited him for dinner at our little table there in the apartment. And over dinner, I began to share the gospel with Anant and uh, I'm about you know, midway through my gospel presentation with a knot, and in broken English, he interrupts me and says, I Christian, I Calvinist, I go to Southern Seminary. <laughs> 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 and we had a big laugh over that and we developed a friendship. And what I learned through a knot, I would learn a hundred times over during my course of study in seminary. It was this unique cauldron of all these different people called from all these different places into the season of training. And then being sent out by God, all these different people from all these different backgrounds to all these different places for a work the Lord had prepared. We here at Midwestern Seminary institutionally, personally, we're called to lean into that future, to seize that future, to pursue that future. But also institutionally as well. We are leaning into a future. We are pursuing what God has before us as a seminary. We've been praying for many years around a certain key metrics or key distinctives we wanted to see that we sought to cultivate here. The prayer that we've had is, what does it look like for God to build here the strongest seminary on the planet? I didn't say the biggest or the best. I said the strongest, the healthiest and again, I won't get into all this here, but just to remind you, even what we are praying for, and what we're working towards. We're praying that we'll maintain the right convictions. And I talked about that earlier in the service. We're praying that we'll continue to project the right vision for the church and for the kingdom. We're praying that God will give us an ever-strengthening faculty through their, through their not only their scholarship, but their churchmanship and their love for students and for Christ. We're praying for things like constituency goodwill that we will serve our churches well with humility and we will engender their trust and their affection. We're praying that God will give us a healthy, attractive campus community, the type of place that students and faculty and staff and other places will see and want to be a part of, and we are doing these things for the church. That is what we are after institutionally. That is what we are leaning into. That is what we are forward focused on. It's what we're investing in, what we're strategizing towards, and that simplifies for us what we do. It's not our calling to scour the world, looking to right every wrong, to solve every problem, to engage every fight, to answer every question. Yes, true dangers must be confronted, but there are also true distractions that would hinder our work, and they must be avoided. Knowing the difference is key. Pianists return again and again to middle C, or so I'm told. Athletes return again and again to the fundamentals of the game. We return again and again to our vision for the church. So that's what Paul is doing here. He's pressing on. He's leaning on to what is before him. This maturation in Christ, this knowledge in Christ, forgetting what lies behind, And leaning into reaching forward to what lies ahead. So we should take an inward reflection. We should take a forward focus, but also we should have an upward longing. Notice the end of verse, or notice verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, that full maturation. It's not achieved in this earth, right? On this earth. It's achieved when we, when we meet Christ and we are made into His likeness ultimately and we reign with Him and we worship Him for all eternity. And as we, we intentionally cultivate that upward longing, it has a mobilizing effect on our lives and has a, a magnetic pull on this institution moving us forward, creating within us the right appetites, the right desires, and pulling away from us the wrong appetites, the wrong desires. See, this I know. If our view as ministers, students, as an institution, if it's a horizontal view, there are a thousand distractions. But as it is a vertical view and a vertical longing, It insulates us from so many things that would do us ill. Remember the Israelites in Numbers 11? Remember they're pining for Egypt? You read it, you're like, what are you thinking? You were in bondage, you were making bricks without straw. What are you thinking? But they're pining for Egypt. And every time you read it, it it, it blows my mind. You're like, you guys are such doofuses. But then you, you read it and you're convicted because you find yourself in moments pining for things. The world has to offer. Like Paul, we embody this yearning forward, this yearning upward for the cause of Christ. You know, over the uh, the Christmas break, my uh, my pastor, my boyhood pastor, his name is named Fred Wolf. Uh, he got COVID and died very shortly thereafter. Died a, just a couple, few days after getting COVID, and uh, he was I think 83 years old and was my boyhood pastor from the time I was just a very young child. My first memories, awarenesses of church to, uh, into my college years when he, when he retired um, from, from the church, not from ministry. And, uh, and you know, that, that makes you reflect when the pastor, you heard preacher whole, you know, your, your childhood, your adolescent, and then uh, you were there. He, he preached a sermon when I gave my life to Christ and was a part of that call to ministry. And, uh, and, and then and then and then He's gone. And for me, the, the passage that I always think of when I think of him is Romans 10, he brought the good news to me. But also, his life, he retired from that church a uh, little over 20 years ago, and then he went to begin a ministry for ministers. And about the age of 70, he went back into the pastor, and he pastored until um, the year 2020. At about the age of 82, when his wife had passed, and his health was clearly debilitating and clearly preventing him from serving the Lord. He stepped out of that pastorate one final time. Reflecting on his life, his ministry, this passage, all that's before us in the year 2021, for me, I want the word faithful more than any other word associated with my name and my life when I see Jesus. And I also want that to be the word for this institution as we look back one day in the future, and see what God did during this season, during our stewardship. And that collective faithfulness, I believe, will be realized in large part as we're willing to continue to self-assess. We are intentional to continue to look forward. We're continuing to cultivate that upward heavenly gaze in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning as we begin a new semester. We pray indeed you would help us to be faithful. Father, we ask that we would never get over the gospel. Help us not to. Help us to never get over the grandeur of our call. Help us to never get over the opportunity to serve here in this place. Help us never get over the very precious stewardship that we have in all these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.